Welcome to Painting Corners, your weekly podcast for all things baseball. Now, here are your hosts, Austin Hartsfield and Dave Kwiatkowski. Welcome back to Painting Corners. This is another off-season edition, off-season preview, off-season overview, whatever 55 names that I've called it to this point. Today, we are doing the Kansas City Royals. This is a team that is five years removed from a World Series. I think it's five years, right, Max? Uh, yeah, man. Is it, well, four years, I guess, but uh, time goes by pretty fast when yeah. you're losing 100 games. <laughs> well, Max Reaper is here to talk to us about this Royals team. Max, kind of give them the overview of where you're coming from and what you got going on. You know, I'm the editor-in-chief of Royals Review, where we kind of keep up to date with all the Royals news. Uh, we... We do the serious stuff. We have prospect, uh, you know, profiles and prospect lists, but we also kind of keep it light sometimes with humor pieces as well. And you have to keep uh, your sense of humor when you're Royals fans these days. So, yeah, and we also have our own podcast, Royals Review Radio, which you can follow on iTunes. And uh, so you can also follow us on Twitter at Royals Review. Brandon said the same thing. He was like, you got to find the little things when your team is losing 100 (laughs) games. It's like That's right. whether it's fighting, you know, like fighting for draft position, whether it's holding on to a really good season, but like a really good player season, you know, just finding something in that in the basically in the dark here. But and we have a lot of experience with losing seasons, you know, in Kansas City. We you know the last two decades, aside from our, you know, couple a two year period where we went to a, won a couple pennants, uh, we've had quite a few long seasons. Yeah, I mean. Is that like? Let's just go ahead and get into this because this will be, I, th- I believe, the first year without Ned Yost, correct? Yeah, yeah. He retired, uh, announced his retirement in September, uh, and stepped down uh, after being a longtime manager since 2010. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be a different face in the Royals dugout this year. It's definitely going to be different. You know, looking back on this Royals team and kind of what what they accumulated and what they did within like a three or like a three-year stretch it was pretty remarkable what do you what are you going to remember most about the the Nettiost years is it that world series is it just those two years as a whole what stands out uh what's really remarkable is how much his uh his the perception of him changed like within months i mean because like in Ju- july of 2014 we on our site we wrote articles about how Ned Yost needed to be fired. This team wasn't going anywhere. They're under 500. They wouldn't sell off the team. You know, trade players away to try to rebuild, and we were frustrated. And of course, then they got hot and they ended up making a postseason run and ended up not losing in the postseason. And they go on this remarkable run and and get within uh, you know really 90 feet away of winning a championship that year. And then of course the next year they take care of business. So. Suddenly, he goes from like a, the hot, the manager on the hottest seat in in baseball, to a guy who's probably going to have a statue of him outside of this uh, stadium one day. Uh, and he really he leaves on a high note. And I think a lot of fans are, um, you know, I think they know it's it's a little bit of a mixed legacy. But I think you know, generally, fans have a lot of positive feelings about Ned Yost as he uh, kind of rides off into the sunset. You know, what is the outlook uh, on you know kind of Matheny coming in? What do the fans expect, and what do you think he's going to bring to the clubhouse? Yeah, so Mike Matheny, uh, he'll be the new Royals manager, and 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 it was kind of preordained the day the Royals hired him. They hired him a year ago as a special advisor, a few months after he was dismissed by the Cardinals. And I think at that point everyone said, okay, here's our manager in waiting, because that's how they kind of did things with Ned Yost. They brought him in as a special advisor after the Brewers let him go, and a couple months later Ned Yost became Royals manager. And Mike Matheny, he kind of 
fits he fits what the Royals do quite a bit. He's a he's kind of an old school guy who likes kind of uh, uh, kind of doing things the way they did 20, 30 years ago. Uh, he has, you know, kind of those kind of values, emphasizing fundamentals and and, you know, playing for one run at a time, playing small ball. Uh, he also, you know, is, is very involved with charity off the field. The Royals really emphasize that a lot. I mean, they said at his press conference, you know, that being a manager is more than just, you know, being involved with baseball. They expect him to be a part of the community. He is a very strong Christian, which they've been very in, heavily involved. At least Dayton Moore has been very heavily involved, involved with that. Um, that which has you know maybe rubbed some people the wrong way. Some people love that, uh, but that is part of the kind of the values that they're trying to espouse. Um, so uh, you know he he comes in. They wanted a an experienced manager to come in and lead this young team. He certainly has experience. He was a Cardinals manager for six, for six and a half seasons. He had a lot of success there. I mean he won a pennant in St. Louis. He won a hundred games in 2015. Uh, he won 55% of his games. But he kind of left St. Louis on a sour note. I mean, his clubhouse kind of descended into uh, dissension. He really had an abrasive relationship with a lot of his key players, like Yadier Molina, Dexter Fowler, uh, uh, Tommy Pham. Certainly left on a bad note in St. Louis. Um, and then he was also kind of a you know a lot of fans questioned his, his tactics and his strategies. Certainly that comes with the job. I think a lot of positions, but uh, he also seemed a little resistant to analytics, which um, you know. Seemed kind of backwards, you know, with the way baseball is going. So he certainly had a lot of red flags going into this job. I think a lot because of that, um, you know, a lot of Royals fans were kind of familiar with his work in St. Louis. And so they there was a lot of criticism, you know, leading up to him getting the job. And I think there still is a lot of skepticism to Matheny as he takes over. But he kind of said the right things at his press conference where they introduced him. He was humble and contrite and kind of admitted to some of the things that went wrong in St. Louis and, and said, you know, there's things he needs to improve on. He got a me- media consultant to kind of work, help him work the media. He uh, took a class on analytics and he said he wants to learn more about how stats can, can help him with his job. And he said he wants to build on relationships in, in Kansas City. And he's, uh, you know, taken a year to kind of get to know everyone in the organization. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, I think people are kind of willing to give him a chance and uh, and we'll see. And, and if he wins games... That'll be great. Um, but I think there is a kind of a little bit of skepticism. I think the first time we hear about, you know, some clubhouse problems, I think we'll, we'll start. We'll kind of gravitate back toward those stories in St. Louis that, that, that weren't very uh, didn't speak very highly of him. But uh, we'll see. I mean, like the talent isn't there to win a lot of games anyway. So there's probably not a lot of pressure to win games immediately like there was in St. Louis. So it'll be a different dynamic. Um, really, his main job is to uh, kind of shepherd these young and develop these young players and get them in a position where they can win meaningful baseball games at one point. But uh, there won't be any pressure the first year or two. Uh, so we'll see. We'll kind of have a, we'll, we'll still have a healthy skepticism towards Mike Matheny. All right. So now jumping into the positions um, during this, this gives the opportunity for the listeners to, you know, maybe who maybe not know that much about the 2020 Royals. So uh, we can, I, we can all kind of go around and, you know, give our outlook for the 2020 season. So let's start at catcher. Salvador Perez out all season. You know, he was injured. Um, how big of an impact was that in the 2019 Royal season? Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I think they would have been a pretty bad team regardless. But, I mean, you, you lose a an all-star and a gold glover and, and your team captain. Um, you know, that's going to have a big, you know, a big blow to the team. And we don't know. You know, they had they signed Martin Maldonado in spring training. Yeah, you know, it's kind of a stopgap, and they ended up trading him midseason to the uh, Cubs actually before he went to the Astros. 
Uh, and so they had a, you know, they had a good catcher behind the plate defensively, but it was, you know, perhaps a guy that, um, you know, they didn't have a lot of experience with the pitchers didn't have a lot of experience with. And a guy also that frankly was probably looking for, you know, where was he going to spend his next couple months? Cause he knew he wasn't going to end the season in Kansas city. And so I think it'll be good to have Salvi back and, and, and someone, to, uh, someone for those younger pitchers to work with. Um, and we'll have to see what kind of a player he is when he comes back. I mean, Tommy John surgery is kind of a rare injury or a rare surgery for a catcher to get. Uh, and I, you know, from what I understand that, you know, from what few examples we have, the track record isn't great for, you know, position players once they return from Tommy John surgeries. We'll see with, with Salvi, you know, he's still not terribly old. Um, so, uh, you know, hopefully we'll have the same old Salvi we had before he, you know, he's a guy that, uh, you know, excellent, obviously great arm behind the play, excellent defensive catcher, a little bit of problems with framing, um, but but his bat, I think you know the Royals could really use that twenty five to thirty home runs that he was providing uh, in the middle of that that lineup. Um, the rest of his offensive game is kind of declining. He's not a guy that gets on base a lot, but I think they'll, they will. They did miss his bat, and I think they will welcome him back, and that that will improve the lineup quite a bit next year. Yeah, so that leads me into my next question. I was going to ask: Is your outlook for Salvi in twenty twenty optimistic, or are you? I'm of the opinion, you know, we're going to give him a season, you know, kind of uh, work himself back in. You know, you don't, we don't know what's going to happen with this Tommy John. So, you know, are you optimistic about his season next year? I mean, cautiously optimistic. We, you know, we ne- you never know how players are going to re- respond to that. But, you know, he's been a pretty tough guy behind the plate. Um, I think if you were trying to going to be optimistic about anyone coming back from Tommy John surgery, I think – Salvador Perez would be a guy you'd, you'd be optimistic about. I mean, he just has a great attitude about everything. You you figure he's a guy, he's a hard worker. He's going to do the work it takes to get back. He's already throwing, so that's a good sign. And, and what's interesting also is that one of the guys that um, has had Tommy, one of the few catchers that has had Tommy John surgery in the past is Vance Wilson, who is actually on the Royals coaching staff. So at least he has maybe someone to kind of reference things with and, and kind of pace himself as he gets back from Tommy John surgery. So, you know, look, I think we all understand in Kansas city that he he's a guy that is what he is. He's a, he's got a great arm behind the plate. He's a, he's a lovable guy. He's a good team captain. He's going to handle those pitchers. Well, um, he's got a, you know, good power bat when he gets the whole, a hold of one, he's going to hit it a long way. He's also going to swing at everything that's close to the plate and not get on base very much, not draw very many walks, not hit for average. His on-base percentage has really been plummeting the last couple seasons. But that's kind of his – he is what he is, like I said, and, and I think they will welcome that that power back. I think he can still be a 20-home run a year hitter, especially if the baseball is still juiced. Um, you know, whether or not his the rest of his offensive game can be of much use, you know, probably not. But he's a catcher, and I think with a catcher, as long as he's a good defender and it can hit a, pot, you know, a home run now and then, I think he'll probably take that. Yeah, so he'll be heading into his age 30 season. Uh, he has two more years under contract with the Royals. What does the future look like at that position? Is there any prospects um, down on the farm that we need to be looking out for to make, possibly replace him in a few years? Or uh, or is there really no one and you, you know you just kind of got to play it out and see what happens? The Royals actually, they don't have a very deep farm system, but at the catching position, they actually they look pretty good. Uh, Maybris Valoria is probably next up. He's a guy that spent some time in the big leagues last year at a pretty young age and he handled himself pretty well. He's a left-handed bat. I don't think he's going to be uh, a great offensive catcher by any stretch, but I think he can be a serviceable guy who can, who can not be a black hole behind the plate. Um, he's an excellent defender. Uh, seems to have a good awareness around him. He's the kind of guy you like, 
uh, being a field general. And I think Salvi's really taken him under his wing uh, and has been a good mentor toward him. So I think he's kind of the first man up. Uh, I think after that, there's a, the young guy they're really counting on to be the catcher of the future is MJ Melendez, who was a second round pick a couple of years ago. Uh, he's still a young guy. He was at high A ball last year and, and just really struggled. In 2018, he had a, he put up a really solid season, 19 home runs as a 19-year-old in A ball. But the last year, it, the bottom just fell out, and he just had a terrible season. So I think they're hoping he can bounce back. He's he's still a good defender. He, he's kind of like Salvi, a really good defender, strong arm, good power. Probably isn't going to get on base a lot, but he's a really smart guy behind the plate. His dad is a uh, college baseball coach. Um, and so I think he's a guy. I think he's the guy that the Royals are counting on to be Salvi's replacement eventually. Hopefully, in two seasons, he'll be pretty close to major league ready uh, if he can bounce back from last year's terrible season. But um, but if not, I think the Royals do have some options. Like I said, Valoria, Sebastian Rivero is another guy in the minors who's more of a defense first, can't hit very well uh, type catcher. So probably more of a backup. But but uh, hopefully, you know, one out of, out of those three guys, one of those can be the catcher of the future. So the first base position wasn't exactly the most productive for the Royals in 2019. <laughs> I mean, you have two negative war guys in O'Hearn and Duda. What what happens in 2020? Do they Is this a spot where you bring somebody in? Is this a spot where you have somebody down on the farm? What does for, th- first base look like for the Royals in 2020? You know, th- this will be a, an important year, I think, for Ryan O'Hearn. He came up in 2018 at the end of the year and, and really just was outstanding. He had like 12 home runs in 40 games. And I think people were saying, okay, here's the next, uh, you know, the a power hitter for the middle of our lineup next year. And then he just really was terrible last year. He just never really got on track. Uh, and it was a really lost se- really a lost season for him. Uh, he's a left-handed hitter. I think he's probably got the inside track to keep the job for another year. But like I said, it'll be a, an important season for him. And at the end of last year, they did bring in a right-handed first base bat by the name of Ryan McBroom in a minor trade from the Yankees. And he was kind of interesting because he's a guy that had, had always hit for good power in the minors and had kind of re-engineered his swing to have some more success. And, you know, it was, he only played with the Royals some 20 games, but he looked pretty impressive out there. And he's a right-handed bat who can play first base, can play a little outfield. I think he'll have a role on the next year's team. I think you'll see him platoon with O'Hearn against tough lefties. I think you'll see him play some outfield. And I think the Royals want to get a good long look at him. So I think he could be in the mix as well. There aren't really any uh, any other names coming up through the minors. I think Nick Prado, their first-round pick from a couple years ago, is a guy they would like to get that job eventually, but he is another guy who really struggled in A-ball this year, uh, You know, struck out like 35% of the time, hit under 200. So he's still a long way away from the big leagues. So they may bring, another, bring in another name to the mix. I think they want someone to compete for that role. But for now, I would say O'Hearn has probably got the job with McBroom getting some time in there as well. All right, so jumping to second base, obviously Whit Merrifield's there. Where does he wind up playing in 2020? It'll be an interesting question. I think if it was up to Whit Merrifield, he would be playing second base. I think that's where he's the most comfortable. I think that's where he sees he gets uh, the you know less wear and tear on his body. Uh, but they have Nicky Lopez there, who was a rookie last year. Lopez didn't set the league on fire or anything, uh, but he's a guy that hit really well in the minors. That I think they're hoping can hit well enough uh, in the big league level to at least hold down that second base job. He's a, a light light hitter as far as power, uh, but he's a guy that they're hoping can hit for average, can draw some walks. 
uh, has a he had a very low strikeout rate in the minors. Brings a lot of speed and defense. So I hope I think they're hoping he can he can handle that job. But I think you'll probably see Merrifield get some time in at second base, uh, especially you know if they sit Lopez against tough lefties uh, since he's a left-handed hitter as well. Uh, but you know we'll, it, it'll be interesting to see how they play Merrifield because. I think there are some fans, many fans, I think they would like to see them trade Merrifield just because they want to get the most value that they can. You know, Merrifield's 30 years old. He is under a very club-friendly contract, but uh, if you're rebuilding, you kind of want to cash those chips in for some younger prospects. Now, there may not be a deal out there that makes sense for them, uh, but if there is, if they can get bowled over by a deal, I think they would move him. Um, if they don't, if he does end up staying on this team, though, I think you'll probably see him more in center field than at second base, although he will get a significant amount of time at second base. Yeah, so you, you kind of touched on my next question. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, sh- last year at the trade deadline, were you of the opinion that the Royals should have traded with? You know, I, I think they should if there's a deal out there, but I'm I'm kind of skeptical that there's really a deal out there that would make sense. I mean, I think the Royals really want to be bowled over. They want, like, one or two top 100 prospects and maybe another interesting guy. And teams just aren't giving that up for position players. They're giving that up for pitchers, but they're not giving that up for like a really good second baseman who's a four wins above replacement player, like which that's what Merrifield. Now, the only team, the team that seemed to have the most interest in Merrifield at the deadline was the Chicago Cubs, who had a glaring need at second base and in the leadoff spot. But their farm system is pretty decimated right now. There aren't a lot of players that make sense uh, that they have in their system that would make sense for the Royals. Uh, some names like Ian Happ and uh, uh, Nico Horner, their, their former first-round pick, who's a middle infielder. Those are tossed around. I think the Royals would probably prefer pitching uh, and maybe an outfielder. Uh, so I don't know if there's a real good fit there. And now we'll see in this offseason maybe some more teams show some interest in Merrifield. Uh, and if there's a deal out there, like I said, I think the Royals would make a deal if there was if it was like a overwhelming deal that was like, okay, we have to make this trade. But I just don't see teams making those kind of trades for a guy like Whit Merrifield, as valuable as he is, uh, and is you know, and, and he's very attractive in that he has a very, like I said, he has a club-friendly contract. He's only making a few million dollars, so a team that's maybe wary of the luxury tax or is cost-conscious could could really make it work. But I just don't know if teams, the way they're hoarding prospects, is going to give up what Kansas City wants to get for Merrifield at this point. Are there any prospects that we're missing right now at the second base position that could possibly be there for the future? Like maybe, obviously, Nicky Lopez is going to be there. I mean, he was a top prospect in his own in his own mind. But is there anybody that can come up in the next few years and threaten that job? Yeah, I think it's it's probably Lopez. There, there's a guy like Gabriel Kensel who um, is was in Double A last year, uh, and he hit 19 home runs last year or 18 home runs, I think. Uh, which says he has pretty good pop for a middle infielder. I think he can play a little shortstop, play a little third as well. Uh, doesn't hit for much of an average, though. His defense, I think, has been questioned a little bit. So I don't know if he's a guy that can really hold down that job, but he may get a job. He may get a, a, a shot at the job here in the next couple of years. Uh, he was uh, left unprotected for the Rule 5 draft, and he is eligible, so a team could conceivably snatch him up. Although I don't see him as being a guy as a, that a team would want to stash on the roster all year. Uh, after that, it's it's pretty thin. I mean, you know, we'll see. Bobby Witt Jr. was their first overall pick this year. He plays shortstop, which they already have Adelberto Montesi at. So perhaps he moves to third or second base. I think that's possible. He has a pretty strong arm, so uh, I think third base would probably be more likely than second base. But 
we're still talking at least you know two, three, maybe even four years away for him uh, since he just came out of high school. So yeah, it's it's probably going to be Maryfield, you know, Maryfield, and then handing the baton over to Lopez, and then uh, hopefully Lopez can hold down that job. Otherwise, they're going to have to look externally. Uh, before we get into Mondesi, let's talk about Wit for a second. You're sitting there in the 2019 draft. Everybody knows who's going number one. Like Adley was kind of a no-brainer. Uh, what was your kind of feeling? Did you want somebody outside of Bobby? It seemed like the number two pick was pr- pretty much a lock too. Yeah, it was kind of a no-brainer. I thought. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I think it, almost everyone had Adley first overall and, and Witt second. I, some people quibbled. I think on our side, one of the guys really liked Andrew Vaughn, but, but he, even he admitted that Witt was probably the the higher upside pick that 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 made more sense for the Royals. And and so I, you know, I, I think you know, I think if he if he doesn't pan out. I think you could say that it was it was Royals' development that 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 did it. I don't think you can say his tools weren't good enough for the number two spot. I mean, he's got kind of the complete package. He's he can hit for power. He's got pretty good speed. He's got good defense. He's got a strong arm. He seems to have you know obviously he's been around the game as his, the son of a former big leaguer. So and he sounds like a, a terrific kid off the field who, who has good aptitude for the game. So uh, you know I think it's a it's a high upside pick. Um, hopefully he reaches that potential. You know his his debut, his professional debut this year was probably a little underwhelming, but I, you know I don't think we should read too much into it. Is you know he didn't hit for really much power at all in the Arizona Summer League, but he's also 19 years old playing against you know 21, 23, 25 year old guys in Arizona. Uh, you know a long season for him. You know having started this season way back in March or whatever it was. So I don't know if I'd, I'd read too much into that. Uh, he'll probably, you know, he'll play a full season next year, and we'll get a better grasp on what uh, he could do at the professional level. But I think, you know, I think the the, the fans are pretty high on him. And uh, you know, when you when you have the number two overall pick and you lose 100 games, you kind of have to have to nail those picks. So hopefully, Wit can can pay off there. We go from a guy with pretty good speed to absolutely spectacular speed, Adalberto Montesi. What can you say about a kid that I mean has been in the league since he was 20 years old, which most people don't do nowadays. You know, what he seemed to be a guy, I mean, the guy stole 43 bags. What's the most exciting part about Mondesi's game? Is it just when he gets on the bases? You know, his, his speed is as advertised, and he can absolutely fly on the bases, and he should be probably the heavy favorite to lead the ba- majors in stolen bases next year. I mean, he stole 43 bases in just 102 games. So, you know, consider that he missed 60 games. Uh, he could, you know, potentially steal 60 bases, maybe even more than that next year. Uh, but what's exciting about him also is the ball just jumps off his bat. I mean, he's got tremendous power for a speedster. Um, he's a guy that could hit 20, 25 home runs, I think pretty easily. Uh, and so when you have that combination of speed and power, it's pretty unique. Uh, and not only that, but he's an excellent defender at the shortstop position. He's a guy that makes spectacular highlight reel plays on a regular basis, could potentially win a gold glove someday. So he's kind of got the complete package except for one, I guess there's really two glaring holes to his game. Number one, he can't stay healthy. Uh, I say that he missed 60 games. He had a couple separate injuries uh, and he missed the final month and a half with a, with a shoulder injury uh, that he re actually re injured in the last week of the season. So that's always been a concern. That's been a concern his entire career. He's kind of a, a thin, a thin frame and he seems to kind of break down over the course of a full season. So that's kind of lingering over his head. And then the other major hole to his game is uh, he swings at everything too. I mean, he just, uh, will swing at anything close to the strike zone. He's never going to be a guy that draws very many walks. He's always going to have an on-base percentage right around 300 or lower. 
And I think that's always going to limit his value a little bit. Now, when you have his speed and defense and power, he can still be a very, very valuable player. But um, th- there's always going to be that concern that pitchers know he's going to swing at everything. They can just throw breaking, you know, uh, breaking pitches off the plate, and he's going to make himself look silly. And so that's the big concern going forward. Whether or not he can you know, just improve a little bit on that during his career, I think that would go a long way towards improving his value. So moving to third base, Hunter Dozier finished the season with a three war. How good was Dozier this year in a year where the team, you know, really needed someone to step up um, at that position? Uh, he was fantastic. I mean, I and I had no inkling that this would happen. I mean, there was some data at the end of last year. His his batted ball data showed he was hitting the ball hard, but it was just hitting it. He was hitting into outs. But even I, I didn't think that he had, that would translate into the season he had this year. He was, you know, one of the top 25 hitters in the American League this year, uh, and was just remarkable. 26 home runs and 870 OPS. Um, he, he was really just fantastic with the bat all season, and and the Royals really needed that. I mean, like I've, I've said, you know, their farm system isn't really great, and aside from you know Montesi, uh, they didn't really have a whole lot of young talent on the major league roster either. So Dozier, you know, he's a former first round pick. He had kind of been a disappointment in the minors. Uh, when he was seemed like he was on the cusp of finally figuring it out, he actually suffered a major hand injury and missed an almost an entire season. So his career has kind of been set back uh, many times. And at age 27, you know, he gets this opportunity with the Royals and and finally makes uh, good on it and and has a remarkable season, really an all-star level season. And I think the Royals are going to really need that going forward. Uh, and hopefully he can lock down that third base position. I know they experimented moving him to the outfield for a few games last year because his defense really wasn't great uh, at third base. I think that was probably an aberration. I think he was probably a little bit better than the metrics showed. And hopefully he can get uh, his uh, get his defense back on track next season. And because uh, they really need someone at third base, there's not a lot of depth to that position either, at least not until maybe Bobby Witt comes along and can move over to that position. So, uh, yeah, I look, you know, I'm looking forward to what Dozier can do next year. Hopefully he shows it's not a fluke and, and kind of replicate what he did this year. There's a, there's a little bit of hardware in this outfield outfield here. I mean, Alex Gordon wins a gold glove. How good has he been over his regime? Because I feel like every single year he's a gold glove finalist. Yeah, I mean, his, you know, it's interesting is that he signed that four-year $70 million deal a couple years ago, and his bat really just fell off the table at that point. But he's still been a valuable player because of his defense. I mean, if you look at his wins above replacement, he's still been above replacement level. In fact, one or two wins above replacement because of his defense. And it's still, you know, he's, what, 30, uh, 36 or 35 years old, and he's still, uh, uh, you know, putting up a gold glove level performance. Uh, He still has that strong arm. And he's just a smart ball player out there. He knows how to play the angles, how to, uh, you know, where to make the throws. Uh, And so it's, you know, it helps when you have, a not very good young pitching staff to have an outfielder like that that can still be very competent and 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 uh, gun down guys on the base pass like that. Now he's the Royals did turn down his mutual option and so he is technically a free agent right now. He said he's uh, kind of 50-50 on whether or not he's going to come back next year. He's kind of mulling retirement. It sounds like the reports around here are that he's kind of leaning towards coming back now. The Royals have kind of indicated they're they're willing to welcome him back. I think it just matters, you know, what what's going to be the price. It, you know, it's probably going to be a one-year deal. It's probably going to be a pretty uh, a, a cheap one-year deal. So I'm thinking like four to six million dollars, four to six million dollars, um, you know, something like that. But he is he's he's good 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 friends with Dayton Moore. I don't expect money to be much of a hang-up. Um, it's really just up to Alex Gordon whether or not he wants to return for another season under a new manager. 
but, you know, the fire, I think, burns pretty bright with him. And so I, I would expect him back uh, come opening day next year. So, All right, so who is the oh, third? My bad. We, who? So we have Whit Merrifield. We have who fills out the rest of this outfield next year? That's a really good question. I think there's a lot of fluidity in that outfield. Um, you know, they've got Brett Phillips out there who uh, they acquired uh, from the Brewers uh, a couple years ago from, from Mike Moustakis. Uh, they didn't uh, – I thought they would give him a whole season to kind of show what he could do, and instead they stashed him in the minors for most of the season. They brought him up in the second half, and um, he didn't really hit much. He's, he's a great defender. Uh, so I think, you know, if you ever see Gordon, Merrifield, and Phillips in the outfield, that's a great defensive outfield, I think. Um, but Phillips has really struggled to hit much. He struck out like 40% of the time in the big leagues. Good power when he can get a hold of one, but he's always been a guy that that um, has contact issues. I think he'll get a chance to play right field. I think you'll see McBroom out there a little bit. Bubba Starling, their former first-round pick, uh, was a guy that came up last year. I think fans are rooting for him because he's a Kansas City kid. Uh, and he's a great defender, but he is another guy that hasn't really hit much. So I don't know if he has many more opportunities left. So this could be an opportunity where they bring in someone. I don't know if it's going to be a free agent or maybe they make a, a trade for someone that's maybe fallen out of another organization. Uh, I think they could use a couple more guys to add to that mix. Uh, Khalil Lee is a guy coming up from the minors that I think could be ready at some point next year, but probably not by opening day. He uh, was in a double-A Northwest Arkansas last year. Had no K season, didn't didn't tear it up, uh, but he does show really good speed. I think he stole uh, some 40, uh, 40 stolen bases last year. Him and Nikita, pretty man. good power. <laughs> What's that? I said him and Nikita just stealing bases. Yeah, him and Nikita. Yeah, the Royals got. Yeah, the Royals have some speedsters in their minors. Uh, so I think he's a guy that that could come up at some point next year, uh, but he's not. He's not going to be ready for opening day. So I think they they they, they probably are open to to other options um, because I don't think the options they have for that th- right field spot are really great right now, but in a, you know, in a season like this, maybe you just throw a Brett Phillips out there for a full season and see what he can do. All right. So jumping to DH real quick, we can touch on Solaire. So back in uh, 2016, the Royals traded away Davis for Solaire, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't know how the move was uh, perceived among Royal fans, but um, you know, he kind of was iffy those, those two years um, after the trade. But this past season, he just, you know, was amazing. You know, he crushed crushed balls day in, day out, uh, broke the Royals' home run record, I believe, and was just um, a monster at the plate. So just give your thoughts on his season and his outlook. Yeah, you're right. That trade was not well-received in Kansas City. I think people wanted to keep Wade Davis and, and take another run at a championship in 2017. Instead, the Royals, with an eye towards the future, make the trade for Jorge Soler, and he could not have had a worse debut, you know, start to his career in Kansas City. I mean, he uh, he looked terrible in spring training. He struck out all the time, and then he immediately got hurt and was hurt really the, for the first two full seasons. He was in Kansas City and just looked like a huge bust going into 2019. And then 2019, he plays in all 162 games. He stays healthy. And he just, you're right, he just hits the snot out of the ball, sets the Royals franchise home run record in like August, and ends up leading the American League in home runs. First Royals player ever to do that. Uh, and it was just fantastic. 48 home runs. Uh, and and 
when I say home runs, I mean like 450 foot blast. I mean, he had some tape measure shots hit one completely out of Fenway park this year. I mean, he, he really looked impressive out there. Um, so yeah, I think the Royals are really counting on him being, uh, that middle of the order bat that they need, uh, because they've, you know, they're a team that doesn't have a lot of power. And so they kind of count on his power, especially with the way the game is going. He's kind of their guy to produce that pop. Now they got a really interesting, I guess, decision to make with him. He has two years of club control left, uh, and he's 27 years old. So they have to decide, does he, is he part of the future? Is he part of, you know, cause if, if the Royals plan on being, <coughs> excuse me, competitive, you know, in the next two or three seasons, is he going to be part of that? Or should they trade him now while he's coming off a career season and try to get some good prospects for him? I, I don't know if teams are willing to give up great prospects for a guy that's, you know, basically just a power only DH, you know, he, he can't really play the field very well. He's a liability out there. So you're really stuck playing him at DH, which means National League teams probably aren't going to be that interested in him. So does he have much value on the on the open market? I don't know. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know if the Royals are going to explore that kind of a trade. But I think it's probably worth thinking about since, you know, he's only under club control for two more years. The Royals probably aren't going to be good for at least three, maybe four more years. So maybe you at least put out some feelers and th- see what you can get for him. Uh, but if not, maybe they maybe they think about extending him uh, into his 30s, which is always a little bit dangerous considering his track record and his injury history. But if they feel like this is the Jorge Soler that's for real, then then maybe they take that gamble. I would assume with $30 million on the books that Danny Duffy starts opening day, who fills out the rest of this rotation? And when do you think we see Brady Singer if it is this year? Yeah, I think it's probably safe to say Duffy, if healthy, is the opening day starter. And of course, health has been an issue with him throughout his career, and, and I, don't, I don't think he's ever made 30 starts in a season, made 23 last year. Uh, but he is, you know, I think when he's on, he's, he's probably their best starting pitcher. Um, there has been talk about moving him to the bullpen, but uh, like you say, because of his salary, uh, I think he'll probably end up starting. Um, after him, Brad Keller was probably the best starter last year. Um, his ERA, 4.19, isn't like outstanding, but he really made strides, I think, towards the second half, started to strike out more more batters. Uh, so I think there's some there's some signs that he could be not an ace or anything like that, but a solid like mid rotation guy, which for you know a guy that's still under you know uh, not even eligible for arbitration, I think that's pretty valuable for the Royals. Jacob Junis is their number three starter. Uh, there has been whispers about possibly moving him to the rotation after or uh, to the bullpen after his. Uh, Season wasn't great last year, 5.24 ERA. Um, you know, he has, he's got a great slider that, uh, you know, that kind of two-pitch repertoire might be better for the bullpen, but I would expect him to be in the rotation as a number three. Mike Montgomery, who they acquired from the Cubs in a midseason trade last year, is probably their number four. And then their number five is probably up for grabs. Uh, that might be where they look for a uh, minor league deal with some veteran like they did last year with Homer Bailey and try to bring someone in, hope, that guy figures it out, and then they can trade him midseason to a contender. Um, Brady Singer is a dark horse to start out in the rotation. Um, I know some people, uh, there's a, a writer on our staff who's pretty close with people in the organization, and he seems pretty convinced that Singer's going to get a, a really uh, long look to be in the rotation to start the year. Um, so we'll see. I mean, Singer had a lot of success at uh, high A ball last year, went up to double A, had some mixed results uh, kind of had a rough start then started to figure things out as it went along. Um, he's a guy that's 
pretty tenacious. Uh, he pitched at Florida, was a first-round pick. Uh, so he's got some experience pitching in college World Series games. He's kind of a bulldog out there on the mound. Um, but there's been some questions about his secondary stuff. So, you know, we'll see if if he can kind of work out, you know, refine his changeup. Uh, I think he's got a chance to be in the rotation sometime in the middle of next year. Uh, his, his former teammate at Florida, Jackson Coar, has perhaps surpassed him as a prospect. He actually looked better at AA than Singer did. And so he's a guy that maybe could reach the big leagues before Singer does. Uh, he's, he's a really impressive guy. Um, good strike thrower, uh, good velocity as well. And so, uh, you know, he's got, he's another guy that could step into the rotation. And then Daniel Lynch, who was another 2018 draft pick. Uh, he's another guy, a left-hander who could be in the rotation as well at some point next year, or at least maybe somewhere on the pitching staff, um, did, did have a setback this year with an injury, but he's pitched really well in the Arizona fall league. And, uh, he's a guy I think that could be in the big leagues by, uh, by next year as well. So, the pitching staff isn't great, uh, but there is help on the way, and the Royals are really counting on those three young prospects to be kind of the pitching staff of the future because uh, they're not a team that can go out and sign a big free agent like Garrett Cole. They really need to develop it in-house. Closing it out with um, the reliever position, Ian Kennedy, starter turn closer. How did he fare in that role, and is that a spot where we will continue to see him in the future? Yeah, so Kennedy was signed to a big contract, a uh, five-year, $70 million deal a couple years ago and was okay the first year and has really been a disappointment since then. In 2018, he was pretty, pretty terrible as a starting pitcher. So they, they threw him in the bullpen in 2019 as a kind of a last resort, like, Hey, try it. Let's see how you respond. And he actually flourished in that role. He was excellent. Um, 3.41 ERA, 30 saves, uh, very good strikeout rate, uh, really seemed to solidify that position. He did attract quite a bit of uh, attention at the trade deadline. I thought that he might get traded. In fact, uh, one of our colleagues reported that they re- pretty much had a deal done with the Atlanta Braves for a couple prospects, but that the deal got nixed at the last minute by ownership because they weren't willing to eat the money that Kennedy is owed. So that was a little bit of a setback. Now there's a possibility he gets traded maybe this offseason if teams are still interested in relievers. And uh, you know the Royals do have a new owner coming in, John Sherman, has agreed to purchase the club. He may have a different stance on eating Ian Kennedy's contract in order to move him for a prospect. We'll see. He hasn't officially taken over yet, but Kennedy has a possibility to get traded. If he doesn't, he'll, he will be the closer and hopefully he can replicate his, his season uh, that he had last year and be an attractive trade piece of the deadline when he's perhaps not owed as much money and a team can is willing to take on his salary in exchange for some prospects. You know, other than that, the Royals, they had a lot of bullpen issues last year. Uh, Scott Barlow is probably the best, next best reliever they have. Uh, he, you know, his 4.22 ERA doesn't look great, but he, he was able to miss bats. He uh, did have some good st- stretches last year. I think if Kennedy were to get traded, Barlow is probably the uh, next in line to get save opportunities. Uh, Tim Hill is a nice lefty specialist. He attracted some trade uh, interest at the deadline as well. Uh, but he's really just a specialist from the left side. And then Richard Lovelady, he's one of their best prospects. Um, I thought would come up and have a, a nice season, but he got called up and really struggled and then got sent down and we never saw him again. We didn't even see him for September call-ups, which from my understanding, there may have been a little bit of a, uh, an issue with him, like a clubhouse issue with him and coaching staff, the coaching staff. Uh, but hopefully we do see him uh, come back with, with a better uh, with a better outlook and a better uh, performance in 2020 because he's got a really impressive arm. He's, he's a guy that can get lefties and righties out 
Um, and I think he's a guy that could be a late inning reliever, a closer even, uh, if you can kind of put it all together. So, you know, if, if the Royals were going to do anything this offseason, I would think it would be to maybe look for some more bullpen depth because, frankly, they don't, they don't have a lot of guys out there who are major league quality re- relievers right now. And so they're going to need some more, more arms out there. <laughs> 